Well, welcome back again, listeners, and thank you for joining us this evening for Carmelite Conversations. Uh, Carmelite Conversations is a program where we try to introduce the principles of contemplative prayer, a deep spiritual walk with our Lord, and do so in the context of our everyday busy lives. We all know what it's like to to bear the burden of our everyday trials and, and our responsibilities, and to try to bring contemplative prayer into that is the call from Carmel. Uh, it is the teachings of our uh, mother, uh, Mother uh, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila, and our uh, father, the father of our order, St. John of the Cross. And uh, we've been doing a series now for the last many weeks on St. Teresa of Avila and her interior castles. I'm uh, lucky to be joined again this evening with my co-host, Francis Harry, a member of the Carmelite community here in Dayton. Francis, good evening. Good evening, Mark. It's a joy to be back here. It seems like it's been a month since we last talked about the interior castle, so I'm thrilled to be back. Well, you know, I, I uh, may miss my count here, but I think it's been close to a month, and for our listeners who may not know, we've had uh, some technical difficulties over the last few weeks. We actually were knocked off the air a few weeks ago when the horrendous storms came through Dayton, and then uh, uh, through a series of... Uh, technical problems. I think we were preempted last week with music, and then uh, this evening which was supposed to actually have been a tape version of the show. Uh, we were given the opportunity, I'll characterize it that blessing, way, blessing. to come back together and, and uh, redo the program that, frankly, we had we had taped for this, but we were uh, given the, the privilege of coming together and being able to speak in person, and we're thrilled at that opportunity. Uh, so this is material we've covered before, and, and we're looking forward to uh, launching off the latter part of the fourth dwelling of the interior dwellings, and then all the way through five and a little bit into six this evening, uh, Francis. But as we always do, let's begin with a prayer uh, to put us in the right frame of mind. Would okay. you lead us in that, please? Yes, I have one picked from the Teresa of Avila's The Way of Perfection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, What a great comfort it has been for me that the fulfilling of your will does not depend on a will as worthless as mine. Blessed are you forever. Let all created things praise you. May your name be glorified in all eternity. Lord, I should have been in trouble if the fulfillment of your will had depended on me. Now I freely give you my own will although I do not do so unselfishly, because I know for certain and from long experience the benefit that we derive from freely surrendering our will to yours. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Francis. Well, I said we want to just uh, close the door quickly on the fourth dwelling, but before we do that, we've got a couple of administrative details that we want to cover very quickly. Francis, would you help our uh, listeners understand where they can uh, gain access to uh, Carmelite Conversations on the web? Well, I'd be happy to, but I'm going to insert a quick email okay. that we got from uh, Joanne Placido. This was a little bit ago. She said she was able to tune in on one of these programs and thought it was excellent. So thank you, Joanne. And she said, let's pray that they are archived soon. So we're here to tell you that they are archived, and you can go to www.radiomaria.us. And in the search box, you can put Carmelite Conversations, and you will see the new programs now online come up, or else the actual Carmelite Conversations list come up, 
and they're by date, and you click on those dates, and the program will come up, and you can listen to it on your computer. And, of course, we know that you can also listen to us live on your computer by going to www.radiomaria.us and clicking on that little blue box on the right-hand side called Listen Live. Great. Thank you, Francis. And one other uh, point on this, we, uh, Francis and I, uh, very much value the feedback that we have gotten since we began the program a number of months ago, which comes to us both verbally. Uh, folks stop us on the street. I was stopped, in fact, at a retreat I was at a number of weeks ago, and somebody said, I know you. You're on the uh, radio on Carmelite Conversations. Uh, we certainly get emails, as you've just indicated, and we get uh, 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 phone calls uh, sometimes uh, during the program and, and sometimes oftentimes afterwards sharing insights and perspective. And we very much appreciate and value all the feedback that we get. Uh, Francis and I have made clear from the beginning we are two pilgrims on this path uh, of contemplative prayer, as I, I trust many of the listeners are. Um, and we certainly have our own experiences, and we try to share that. And we also try to draw out the the teachings and the, the wisdom of our great saints, Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, uh, Edith Stein, and others. Uh, but we are only pilgrims, and so we value the insight and the direction and the counsel that we're provided and also uh, the feedback that helps us better understand what will make this program most meaningful for our listeners because really at the end of the day, uh, our objective is to try to address the concerns that uh, others have along this journey of contemplative prayer. So we value that. We appreciate it. Uh, and in, that, uh, in the spirit of that, I want to take a moment to offer our emails, Francis, where people can contact us either during uh, the program. Now, we don't have computer this evening that we would retrieve it, but uh, we hope to in future programs. But regardless, for feedback after the program, we invite you to write us at, in my case, m.danis, that's D-A-N-I-S, at sbcglobal.net. Again, that's m dot danis at sbcglobal dot net. Francis, you want to share your email? And mine is f j i harry h a r r y at sbcglobal dot net. Well, that made it easy. Yes. Well, terrific. And uh, one last uh, programming note or, or communication note: we can be reached here uh, this evening or during any of the programs at one eight six six. Three 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 six two seven nine. If you've got a question, or if you've got a comment, or you'd like to participate in the conversation, again, that's one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. Well, Francis, why don't we launch right into it? One of the things we wanted to cover quickly on the uh, the latter part of the fourth dwelling, and again, these dwellings are simply uh, analogies that uh, Teresa provides us to understand the degree of development of our uh, intimacy with the Lord and our, our uh, experiences at different levels throughout the course of the maturing of our prayer, the deepening of our prayer. Uh, for some, this may happen very quickly in the course of one or two years of very focused prayer. For Teresa, of course, it was many years, but uh, she's providing guideposts along the way, along the journey, uh, regardless of the duration or the uh, particular experiences that any individual may go through, uh, she's provided a very good roadmap for us to begin to see the signs that right. give us consolation and confirmation that we're on the path. 
And so in the fourth dwelling, she distinguishes between two types of recollection. Now, she'd been using the word recollection for quite some time. Um, And then she throws us a bit of a curve by beginning to talk about recollection as an infused activity, a gift from God. But this is different than the recollection that got us here. How so? Right. Well, um, she first was talking about it in uh, a sense uh, as in, let's withdraw within to our soul, our mind, our thoughts, and, and let's be present to God, feel his presence in us. And that's something that we can do. Now, And sometimes her terminology gets a little um, cloudy, because um, she wrote these at two different occasions. But here... In the interior castle, when she talks about recollection, she's referring to also this infused recollection, which is when God draws us within. Yes, we do what we can of ourselves, but then he has a way of, you know, it's, it's that pulling in that turtle uh, sensation uh, that we've often talked about. But now he does it in a way that we can't recreate. We can't make it happen, but he gets our attention, and our will is captive here in this but our intellect may still be you know our our thoughts may be on a thousand different things but our will is captured and attentive with him and that's what we want to concentrate on is just loving god here you know gaze with love um i think this is the dwelling place where she says not to think so much but to love much so we got to remember in our prayer this is so important we got to remember that the prayer should bring us into a deeper love of god and of neighbor right this word simplicity that I like to use, and you've identified many times that I like to use it, but I think it's so important. I remember watching a film about uh, Therese of Lisieux, and um, one of the older sisters in the convent says to her, says to her at a very early stage, as you deepen your relationship, you'll become more and more simple. You'll become a simpler soul. And there's great uh, profound wisdom in this with regard to our individual prayer life. And I know even the phrase, and I said to you a moment ago before we got on the air, um, that we have heard this phrase, not to think much but to love much, so many times that it can almost begin uh, to become uh, patterned in our mind, but we have to get into those words. What she's really saying, and Teresa says this, uh, Teresa says this later in her writings, that the only thing that should disrupt our prayer are acts of charity. And you can even read into some of her writings that she's saying works are more important than prayer. What she's really saying is the work is the manifestation of the prayer. The charity, the love expressed toward neighbor, is in fact the very manifestation of the strength, of the light, of the warmth, of the power that we drew from God in prayer. She's not minimizing the importance of that prayer. That time is absolutely necessary, but it then has to manifest itself in our work, and the work is the manifestation of love. Not to think much, don't try to intellectualize, don't try to create, don't try to, um, you know, theorize your way to a deeper relationship with the Lord. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's simplicity. Nothing is simpler than love. Unfortunately, nothing is more challenging. Yeah, so for those people who are more heady and intellectual types, this might be a little bit more challenged because they're used to being in control of the prayer life. And so here in the fourth mansion, God is saying, here, let me take over. And slowly but surely... You know, he will take over more and more as we allow him and as we prepare ourselves to be open to him. So here um, he's going to seize the will and in this infused recollection. And, and, and in a stronger, more intense prayer, she'll call the prayer of quiet, which we had discussed before. 
And so then as we continue to grow, then um, we will hopefully prepare ourselves for the fifth mansion. But it's so important for us to really be thinking about um, relinquishing that control and being receptive to his love and to his action. And that plays out in our life. And I just read a little bit about um, how they were talking about how that plays out, and I thought that was that it was really interesting. She said um, some of the landmarks um, of this kind of prayer are that we are more sensitive to others now because we've become more sensitive to his work in our soul, and it's easier to put up with the quirks and foibles of others. And now we have a more honest respect toward others. Uh, we laugh more. We're not so serious, you know. And we're, there's more courtesy underlying just our social interactions, like with that store clerk or the people at the gas station or uh, the people behind the fast food lines. Um, and then we're sharing more uh, in meals. It's not just let's qu- quick eat, let's go and run. And, you know, you're when you're trying to admonish your kids, you're talking more about the action, not the person. And, and that's very important for us parents to realize is that sometimes the way we talk, you know, the child is receiving it like they're bad, they're no good, you know, they're not going to amount to anything. And that's not true. Uh, and as parents, we want to build them up. But we do want to correct some of the choices and uh, thinking processes. We want to aid them in a better discernment, don't we? Francis, you sound very much like my wife in a conversation <laughs> we had the other day. Unfortunately, I was on the receiving end, much <laughs> like I am now. <laughs> I take the counsel. Um, let me cover one other quick thing here as we as we uh, enter into the fifth dwelling place because uh, this is striking for us, I think, in terms of what we said a moment ago about a God beginning to take over. And I'm going to quote uh, uh, our dear mother, Teresa, at this point. She says, that Though there is not so much room here for the poisonous things to enter, and, uh, of course, Teresa is very uh, explicit about her... Uh, uh, analogies and and the way she describes things. And I'll say something about that in a second. Let me finish with her quote. Some tiny lizards do enter, since these lizards have slender heads. They can poke their heads in anywhere. (laughs) Imagine Uh, that. What she's talking about here, and the Eastern Church does a very good job of of explaining this battleground that Teresa's walking us through and helping us avoid the landmines. The Eastern Church, uh, Church talks very uh, descriptively about demons and about the work that the demons have on us. And of course, we accept the reality, the existence of the enemy and demons, um, but they come to us uh, largely through our thoughts, largely through the imagination, largely through uh, our, our dwelling and the judging that you just uh, spoke about a moment ago. This is how the demons manifest themselves. This is how they mount their attacks. And so the battleground becomes largely the mind. And then she goes on to say, um, one of the reasons here, and I, I'm uh, preparatory to the quote, one of the reasons for this uh, work of the Lord to draw us out of our own uh, effort, our own imagination, our own thinking, this is what's happening at this stage, she says, is, for there is neither imagination nor memory nor intellect that can impede the good work the Lord will do here. And the reason for this is that the Lord's trying to protect us. He's trying to defend us. We've done the work, if you will, uh, to, to get ourselves on the battlefield, to hoist our sword, and to begin to engage the enemy in eliminating the very obvious sinful things in our life, to begin a deep uh, a prayer life, to begin to commit time, to return to the sacraments, to use the powerful sacrament of reconciliation. All of these led us through the second, third, and into the fourth dwelling. And now she says, 
for God does not even entrust this work, this work, to our own mind. In other words, God's saying, you've done what you can do. Now, I have to take over because in your limited capacity as a human person, and we are limited beings, and we're contending against, as Paul says, uh, the spirits and the powers of darkness, uh, we're not going to win that battle on our own. We are not going to overcome even our own uh, foibles and, and, and failings. God has to begin to work deeply in our spirit, and so he puts to sleep a bit our intellect. And my, my capstone comment to Francis, as I said before we got on, for the entire fifth dwelling is the faculties go to sleep. Yeah. Our faculties are, are made subtle and supple and malleable so that the Lord can work on them. And we call that, there's a special name for that, and, and I want you to be clear here, there's two things we're going to be talking about here in the fifth. This one here is the prayer of union, the prayer of union, but there's also the union of wills, which we'll talk after this. So, Mark, maybe you could tell us, um, how do we know about this prayer of union? You mean what are the manifestations? Oh, that would be good. How do we know? What is, what is it like? What is it? And how do we know that we've had it? Well, the uh, actual effect of it when we're in that uh, state, of course, is there's a quieting of the anxieties and all of the things that are rambling around. Our, our thoughts may wander, but there's a peace deep within our soul that is unmistakable. Uh, Teresa Babila says to us, this is unmistakable. Uh, that, that, that we have uh, been touched by the Lord. There's this peace, there's this knowing, there's this comfort. Um, there is the element of our faculty somewhat being put to sleep. Now, you're talking uh, about fifth, right? I am still okay. in fifth, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, yes, there are the, the, men, the intellect, the memory, and the will are all um, in captive. They're all captivated by the Lord. So, you know, you, you're not going to be thinking with your mind or sensing things outwardly, um, you're, you've got you're totally withdrawn in this prayer of uh, prayer of union. Prayer of union, and right. that certitude, that certitude is that the soul knows without a shadow of a doubt that they were in God and God was in it. There was no doubt. Now the difference between that prayer of quiet and this prayer of union is that the prayer of quiet was just your will was captive, and so you could still think with your thoughts and you could still you know see with your eyes and hear with your ears and all of that stuff. But now. In this prayer of union, those three, memory, intellect, and will, are are captivated. So you're not going to be thinking other thoughts or seeing other things. You're going to be so um, overwhelmed with God, you know, but you won't know it until you come out, she says. Right, right. It's an experience that you you enter in, and of course, as you say, everything is quieted at that point, Uh, but you won't know that you've gone through the experience until you actually come back out of it, and then you will sense not right away will you necessarily sense the changes that have occurred, but soon thereafter you'll see the manifestation of it, as, as we discussed a moment ago, in your interactions with other people, in your response to the trials and the tribulations that we all go through in life. Um, if we're feeding our souls and our hearts and minds through uh, this prayer and God draws us into that experience, then we'll begin to see evidence of it as we engage in those works, as we engage in uh, the efforts at, uh, at loving our neighbor. And then that certitude will not go away. We will still, without a doubt, know that we were in God and God was in us. And and so this mansion, I like to call, um, somebody wrote this in one of the books I read on the mansions, it was Fragments of Heaven. So this is a, a real sense of the fullness of the fragments of heaven because you're experiencing God within your soul without a doubt. I just, you know, when I first learned that that was possible, I was just overwhelmed. 
And I just so loved that. And that's why I was like, oh, I've got to read more. So I invite you all to get a copy of Interior Castle and read it. You can read it online as well. Yeah, one of the things, and we talked about this again, Francis, just before we got on uh, the air, but um, I, I read something from John Paul II earlier this week where he's talking about uh, St. John of the Cross, who, of course, we'll be doing in the next couple of weeks. And as a uh, uh, bit of counsel, if you will, for our listeners, and certainly it's something that Francis and I take seriously ourselves, the importance of the texts themselves, we obviously are advocating in, in this conversation that our listeners, like us, um, who, who advocated to each other, that we engage actively in our prayer life every day. We take full uh, measure of the sacraments that are available to us, and most especially uh, the Eucharist and, and Sacrament of Reconciliation. We advocate spiritual direction, and we're going to talk about spiritual direction when we get into St. John of the Cross, but also the importance of really drawing from the text, just the text of Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, and the other great saints, in much the same way that we would advocate uh, dwelling deeply on the Word of God. Yes, right? ponder it. Ponder yeah. that scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going through this seven dwellings in, I would argue, a fairly brisk uh, schedule of, uh, of covering the material. But really, this is deep um, wisdom from our uh, mother and from, from a doctor of the Church, uh, someone who's identified as having a very unique and very a significant teaching. That's what constitutes the doctor of the church. And so we have to draw deeply from that well of St. Teresa's writings. And it's hard to do that uh, simply by reading it in an academic way, right? right. Uh, you really have to pray these words. You have to pray these works. You have to dwell and meditate and ask the Lord to reveal to you what's most important. What is it he wants you to draw out of the text? It takes us right back to that contemplative experience, but, but using the text to help us understand at a deeper level. Right. And this is the mansion where Teresa brings up the analogy of the silkworm. And I think this is a very important analogy. As Marcus said, the things that we can do to prepare ourselves or to, to help weave this cocoon, because we're that ugly little fat worm that we want to turn into that butterfly, right? So how are we going to do that? Well, what we can do, yes, confession, read good books, hear good sermons, have good meditation time, you know, pray. And these things will sustain us as this cocoon is spun. But then, you know, God has taken over as we allow him, because he's not going to go against our will. So our will has to be there with him. And here we get the sense of the scripture passage um, about being hidden in Christ. Um, and so we want to remember that. And, and so we want to know that, that God's in charge here. And then as we die in Christ, we become that butterfly. And that's what we want to see happen here. We're going to try to get rid of this self-love, self-will, attachments to earthly things, and we're going to do that by deeds of penance, prayer, mortification, obedience, and other things that you well know. So um, when the soul is in this state, then it is transformed in God, and becoming that butterfly is such a, a freeing thing. But it can also be, there are some also challenges here. But the results of this prayer, this prayer of union, that happens when, when we die in Christ and now we're freed, this prayer of union and, with, and the butterfly is set free, now we have stronger desires for penance, for solitude. Um, you want everybody to know about God, 
and, you know, the great pain that they have when they see that God is offended. So now, even venial sins are, you're very, very sensitive to just the, even the faults. Teresa says, and I'll, I'll quote again from the text itself, uh, let's be quick, she's speaking, of course, to her sisters, let's be quick, daughters, to do this work, to weave this little cocoon by getting rid of our self-love and self-will, as you said, uh, Francis, our attachments to any earthly things. You know, we pass over these words quickly, and it's dangerous to do so, because these elements of self-love, self-will, and attachments are deeply embedded. If mm-hmm. we sit and think, even today, as we reflect on our day, as we should do at the end of every day, yeah. if we reflect back on the last month or the last year, we can say, oh, yes, I see the manifestation of my self-love. I see the manifestation of my self-will. Here's a bit of insight for you that Teresa would offer. If you see it, that's not the deepest level. Mm. Because, unfortunately, the deepest level has to be revealed to you. That's the part where God has to begin to do that work. And how does he do that? He does it through the interactions, certainly, that he has with us in prayer. He will give us that deep insight. But he also does it through the daily circumstances of our trials, our tribulations, and most especially, our failings. And that's where these... Uh, she says, in fact, she, she begins this sentence with, Therefore, courage, my daughters. Mm. Courage, my daughters. Be careful at presuming that you know where the battleground is, that you know where the front lines are, because what you may end up in is a minor skirmish, (laughs) and then a few yards or a quarter mile down the road, you'll find out where the real line of battle is. And it has to do with something that is very difficult when it's revealed to you uh, as to exactly what what you're engaged in. Well, Francis, we're going to take a break and give our listeners uh, a chance to listen to the music. We'll be back right after the break.
welcome back, listeners. Uh, I appreciate your rejoining us here at Carmelite Conversations. Again, I want to give you that number. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question, please feel free to give us a call, 1-866-333-6279. Well, Francis, just before the break, we were uh, talking about uh, the difficulty of identifying self-love, where we're enacting our self-will, uh, these little attachments that we can fall victim to. And, and I said, and, and can speak from experience, that uh, these uh, uh, limitations, these, these trials that we have to overcome in our maturing of our personality in, in the context of our devotion to the Lord can be very subtle, very dangerous, um, and more often than not, we don't see them they have to be revealed to us through these interactions. And Teresa says something to us about that. About the little things, right? Right. Well, this is how the the devil can come in and deceive you. Um, she says that the devil can come along with skilled deception under the color of good. All right? So we know that. We know, we, we, we've heard that before. Um, but there's some skilled deception here so that under the color of good, it confuses it. And we know confusion is not a good sign. But it confuses it with regard to the little things and then induces it to get taken up with some of them because they think it's good. And then little by little, just like sliding down that slippery slope, he darkens the intellect and then cools the will's love, you know, your ardor, and makes this self-love grow, you know. And sometimes it's in the in the uh, capacity of thinking, I can handle that, or this is not dangerous, or, you know, I can show them. So we really have to watch for that. Yeah, you gave a great analogy. We were uh, having the conversation a few weeks ago, and I remember, uh, I think this was the example that you provided, but regardless, uh, I know, because we've talked about this, and every one of our listeners, I guarantee you, have experienced something like this. Um, It's an analogy that happens early on in the spiritual walk, and, and I'll draw the analogy to what happens later to us, what you just referenced. But just so everybody can put this in context, everybody's had the experience of you begin to deepen your spiritual life. You become very active in the church or in some community or society or organization or maybe a third order. And immediately you feel the need to become very actively involved in a number of projects, right? Mm-hmm. And haven't we all had this experience where... All of a sudden, maybe three or six or nine months into the process of actively signing up for everything that comes your way, you look back and realize, I can't do it all. I can't keep up this pace. It's just, it's draining my family. It's draining my work. I just can't do it. That's a subtle trap that, of course, Satan sets always for uh, folks who've begun to deepen their walk. Here, we're much later in the process. We're much more mature. We've seen that Mm -hmm. happen. And now it's more likely that it'll be a subtle a temptation to do something that, as you said, the language in our own head will be, I can do that, I have that ability, I have that skill. In fact, the great saints would tell us their own writings show us more often than not, they felt inadequate to the task that Absolutely. was presented to and them. And that's a good sign. It's a good sign. It's, it's humility. It's the manifestation of humility. And you always see this all the way back to our father Elijah. You see the Lord having to coax, God having to coax the saint into what they at first believe they're simply incapable of. And, of course, the reality is they are incapable. We're all incapable of assuming uh, these these responsibilities for evangelization, for 
uh, dealing with uh, uh, relatives who may be going through difficulties. We're, we're all incapable. We're all uh, weakened in some way by virtue of concupiscence and our own uh, sinfulness. But relying on the grace of the Holy Spirit working through us, we can accomplish these things. And and this is not to uh, put down the gifts that God gives us, because we, we want to recognize those, because those give praise and glory to God. So we, we keep remembering that the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Yes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, in all circumstances, it's all for our benefit. Right. He has our best interest at heart. Again, I, I know we spoke about this the last time we uh, we had a conversation, and we agreed that you know, as you get into that latter part of the fourth mansion, one of the most difficult things for folks who have spent a lot of time actively in prayer and doing works of charity and, and doing the things that manifest virtue, assuming the mortification and the penances and so forth, is that those practical and very virtuous um, activities now no longer bring about the confirmation and consolation because we're waiting on the Lord. We're literally waiting on the Lord at this stage in the fifth dwelling. And it can become far more challenging uh, for someone to have to say, well, I now have to wait. I can't make the next step happen. And, of course, Teresa is very clear uh, that this stage, this fifth dwelling, is not something we can place ourselves into. We can't advance through it. Now, we can only prepare ourselves and receive, be receptive. But, you know, there are, you know, we do what we can. But I want to point out here that if you don't have this experience of this prayer of union, that really is the shortcut. That's to get you to that six faster, if I understand it correctly. It is the shortcut. And Teresa talks about a shortcut. And I'm like, okay, what's the shortcut? Oh, I'm just now figuring this out here. Well, this shortcut was the prayer of union. But there is the union of will. Now, that union of will is the one that she prayed for all her life. And she says to keep begging God for that, because that prayer of union won't result unless you have that prayer uh, or the uh, union of will. So you must have the union of will first. And whether you get that prayer of union is God's call, of course. Yeah. And so, but we can do something to make sure that we're going to be diligent on our part and that we're going to be careful. So, number one, we always ask God, we beg Him to be merciful and to sustain us. And then never, never trust in yourself. That's a big one. And how easily we can deceive ourselves on that one. And, and that trusting in self, as we've said just a moment ago, and I want to reiterate this, the thought pattern that will run through your mind is, oh, I'm capable of this. Oh, I can, oh watch what I'm going to do. Let me show them. That kind of language is usually representative uh, or preliminary to a fall or to a revelation of humility. Yeah. Reminds me at Lent when I say I'm going to fast every day, <laughs> such and such and such, and the first day I, <laughs> I, I that, blew that. That's one of those mid-level challenges that Satan will <laughs> like to throw us. After he's gotten us in all the committees, then he says, oh, you can fast four days a week, no problem. <laughs> yeah, you're, right. You're capable. But, but you, you know, when, when, when you have the grace of God, you can do marvelous things. Oh, my goodness. But You can do as long as that's what he wants you to do. And back to the very point you just raised about the union of will. She has a wonderful teaching here in the text that you pointed out to me just before we uh, we went on, Francis. And I want you to, or, or I'll grab this uh, quote uh, to help us. Uh, again, Teresa gives us not only the, uh, the, the particulars, if you will, but she gives us evidence. She says, here's what it's going to look like, sisters. Again, she's always writing to her sisters, but she says, here's what it's going to look like, sisters. Here's what's going to happen to you. Here's what it's sort of going to feel like. Um, but here she's giving counsel, and, 
uh, drawing directly from the text, she says, here's her counsel to us. She says, force your will. Now, Francis just said this union of the will. How mm-hmm. do I get to that union? of? If that's the question that was resting in your head mm-hmm. when Francis said union of wills, Teresa gives us the answer. Force your will, she says, to do the will of your sisters. Who are your sisters? Anybody in your uh, daily walk, in your daily life, who, who has yeah. need of your services, if you will. Do the will of your sisters in everything, even though you may lose your rights. Isn't that mm. a classic? There's that great uh, C.S. Lewis story where uh, one of the characters says, well, my rights, my rights, he refuses the entry into heaven because he demands his rights. Oh, his rights were, of course, his worldly perspective. But mm. forget your own good for their sakes, no matter how much resistance your nature puts up. Mm-hmm. And when the occasion arises, strive to accept the work yourself so as to relieve your neighbor of it, don't think that it won't cost you anything or that your will, or that you will find everything done for you. That's not what we're talking about and here, then, is it, Francis? No, and she reminds us, well, see what the Lord, what it cost him, you know, in order to free us from death. He died the most painful death on the cross, not to mention the hard life he must have lived because he's seeing such sinners all around him. You know, that had to be, you know, um, really a big challenge. Yeah, and and uh, I, I want to go back and just quickly pick up on this one point about the little things. Again, we're late in the process here. We're talking to mature souls who have had some ups and downs and struggles, and they've certainly found the front of the battle line and engaged the enemy on more than one occasion. And uh, Teresa tells us in a quote I read this morning that one of the things that will happen here, because Satan won't use the big, um, you know, obvious tricks that he might use with a young uh, uh, contemplative, he'll use something more subtle, and she says, through little things, the devil drills holes through which big things then travel. Oh, and that's she's, good. she's being very explicit here that it's the tiny little things in our life. It's the, uh, you know, I'm going to pass on that responsibility today, or I'm going to um, just ignore my, my uh, uh, responsibility to obedience in this particular area. And Therese of Lisieux is wonderful on this topic oh, of absolutely. teaching us the importance of little things. Little things make saints, and the little things make demons. Those are so important in oh, our life. Very good. And so we've got to walk with special care and attention, observing how we're proceeding in this practice of virtue. So we always have to strive to advance for the glory of God and the salvation of souls because of our love for Him and the love He shows us. And. You know, she says uh, uh, as well on this issue of the challenge of this love um, that if some souls knew what they were getting themselves into, not to lighten the the conversation too much here, but Teresa is also very uh, blunt about the, the difficulty of this path. I mean, we look at, the as you just said, Francis, the difficulty that our Lord, uh, uh, the path that he had to trot in order to uh, bring about our salvation our path is equally difficult, although be it uh, the door has been opened for us, so we have a, a, a much greater uh, source that we can draw on. But she says, uh, for many, if they knew the trials that they had to go through, they may well turn back. They may well turn back, not because um, Satan or the demons or, uh, or the world was going to overcome them, but the most difficult thing that we wrestle with in this process of maturing ourselves spiritually into uh, the people that Christ intended us to be from the beginning, is self-revelation. Right. And that's why Teresa says early on in her writing, she says the two greatest gifts that you will need throughout this entire path are humility 
and self-knowledge. Absolutely. You must become aware of who you are in Christ and who you are in comparison to Christ. And that revelation is demanding, challenging, and sometimes can be a bit overwhelming, and hence we need the grace that that, uh, the sacraments afford us. Right, and as we grow in the spiritual life, there's more mystery. There's more of the unknown. And if we want to keep controlling things, we're not going to ever find out. We have to let go and let God. So that kind of brings us up into the beginning of the sixth mansion, right? Do we cover what we wanted to cover in the fifth? Uh, I think we are. Yes. Okay. We're, we're in the beginning of the sixth now. All right. Um, yeah, greater trials, greater favors. Greater trials and greater favors. And that's the, the, the terrible irony, if you will, about the spiritual experiences. Um, because we are deepening our relationship with the Lord, because we are becoming more aware of the magnificence of our Lord and the the beauty and the glory uh, of the one we serve, we also unfortunately become more aware of how far we are away from that, and hence the trials and the glory of the sixth dwelling. And this is why, as I said a moment ago, Teresa says, you know, for many, if they saw what the trials were before they got there, they might well turn back. Well, thankfully, the Lord doesn't show us the whole path at the beginning, as much as many of us would like to have it shown to us. Isn't that true? We so often say, well, Lord, just show me what I have to do. <laughs> we can't uh, handle it. <laughs> yeah. You know, we all want to run the 5K race, but the Lord is saying, no, this is a marathon. You're going to have to hang on through the, the wall that usually hits at the 18th mile and all the difficulties yeah. of uh, Beacon Hill and Boston and so forth. No, this is the long, this is the long haul. So, well, Can we say that all these trials are going to be hitting that wall? <laughs> no, there's, you actually you hit the wall and then you go into darkness. And <laughs> okay. John's going to teach us about that. Well, but. in fact, this sixth mansion is um, a lot of what uh, John of the Cross would call the dark night of the spirit. And I know when we talk about him, we'll get into that more. But, you know, there are, are lots of trials here and, of course, lots of favorites. But I'd like to point out a couple of the trials here. Um, sometimes these trials may be that your good friends are speaking badly about you or there's more gossip and disapproval, maybe, of what you're doing or what you're saying. Praise can be a big trial because you see yourself now more clearly what you are not and what God is. So praise, uh, you know that you don't deserve it, and you want all the praise to go to God. And so praise can be a real problem. Uh, Persecution, illnesses, problems with confessors, uh, the torment, I know you're going to get back to that, but let me finish my list. <laughs> torment of former sins, the inability to explain yourself or explain things or what's going on, dryness on top of all that torment, uh, a darkened understanding, that means you, your intellect is being darkened, which can be a good thing because, you know, it's, it's mystery. Um, the feeling rejected and this eventually total incapacitation. So what do we do? We beg for the mercy of God and and do works of charity. Love we, your neighbor, because you can know when you love God is by how you love your neighbor. That's right. Despite all these things, right? Mm-hmm. This is, you know, again, this is the terrible irony of maturing in the spiritual life. It's it's inconsistent with the human experience, up to the middle part of the fourth dwelling, anyway. There, our effort, our trial, our struggle all seem to bear fruit and and. It seems consistent with the ideas and the analogies we've learned in sports or business or uh, academia or what have you. You work hard and you bear fruit. Well, here those things don't work as well anymore. The rules seem to be inconsistent with our experience. And we don't like that, do we? We We like to know the rules. (laughs) Exactly. 
but here is where the Lord's really taken over. And so this litany of, of trials that you ran, and I'm going to ask you to read it again because I think it's very important, but these very things cause us a battle in our mind. And now I'm going to go to my second favorite phrase, Francis, that okay. you know well, and that's silence. Mm-hmm. Silence in the context of the spiritual walk is not simply the absence of noise. It's silencing all of the internal struggles and the judging and the evaluating and the questioning and the, and the you know, um, um, thinking over again and again and again. What does this mean? How does it relate? Blah, blah, blah. You have to begin with faith, which says, I'm a child of God. I'm seeking my Father's will. All of these things are happening to me that don't appear to be consistent with my experience, but I'm a child of God, and I have faith that I'm loved, and so I move on. And I don't dwell on these things. I don't continue to have this raging battle in my mind about what it all means. What it means is that you've probably been hoisted onto the cross, and you're now uh, manifesting uh, the, the uh, experience of Christ in the most intimate way that you may have in your entire spiritual walk. And all this confusion, all of this trial that you just ran the litany of, and I'll ask you to do it again, is exactly where you should expect to be in your walk, and Teresa tells us that. Right. If you have nobody to tell you that, of course, you, you wander in darkness. It doesn't mean you don't come through it, but you wander in darkness. And your your point is well made. It's purifying. Why? Anybody can love in the midst of joy and comfort and peace and, and uh, consolation, and even if things go along smoothly. We can love in that. But that's not perfect love. That's love that's almost like hired labor love, right? As or, long as things are going fine. Or tit for tat, you know, yeah. you do this, I do that. Exactly, as long as things are going fine. But now, like our Lord, we're being asked, love in the midst of this. This is where the purification comes from. So please, I'm going to ask you to read the list oh, okay. again. Here's that litany of the trials. Uh, friends speaking badly, gossip, disapproval, especially by those who love you, praise, persecution, severe illness, problems with fearful confessors, uh, the torment of former sins. Oh, yes, your sins always go before you. The inability to explain things, dryness on top of torment, um, a darkened intellect or a darkened understanding. Uh, sometimes this will be you can't read and understand anything. Um, feeling rejected by God. Oh, that's a biggie. And this total incapacitation. Uh, but do we give up prayer? No. Two two quick points on this uh, list that I think are very important. This uh, idea, and Teresa says it, in fact, uh, I don't know if I'll find the quote in time, but uh, God wants us to know our misery. God wants us to understand uh, our misery. And of course, Catholic of, uh, Catholics oftentimes are criticized for this. Oh, you have a guilt complex. You want to live with a guilt complex. No, the reality is we know our situation. And our situation and knowing our situation calls us to fall upon the mercy of the Lord, which is where he wants us. And the strength of the Lord. Because when you know your misery, then you also get an insight into his grandeur. Right. And he's wanting us to rely on him. So how are we going to rely on him more if we think we can do it ourselves? If we're thinking we're okay, if we're thinking that we're bringing about these experiences, you're right, that's when we're in danger. When we realize we've reached this point of understanding our wretchedness, uh, and that list certainly could help us experience that, then we have to fall back on the Lord. Catherine of Siena had a great a bit of advice for 
uh, Satan, actually, who was engaging her in this conversation, and uh, she remembers uh, Satan would approach her and say, oh, you're a wretched, terrible individual, and she would say, oh, thank goodness for the mercy of God, and of course, Satan would think about that, and he'd come back and he'd say, yes, you know, because of that mercy, you're such a wonderful individual, such a terrible, you know, terribly wonderful person. And she would say, oh, don't you remember just a moment ago how wretched I was? <laughs> Thank goodness for the mercy of God. And so he would leave her alone after that. But that that's important. We have to understand the, the misery of our condition. The reality is the misery of our condition because it causes us in this sixth dwelling to really fall on the mercy of God, and we begin to understand that we're not. Uh, able to do this on our own. The second important point, though, is the importance of good spiritual direction. Absolutely. Teresa, I believe, had the unfortunate experience of a number of bad spiritual directors, at least a few bad, bad spiritual directors, uh, which we won't go into in any great detail as we, we begin to run out of time, but essentially telling her that she either wasn't experiencing these things or that she shouldn't be uh, dwelling on these things, or maybe it was her imagination, regardless of the bad advice she got. She emphasized later the importance of good spiritual direction. Again, I said earlier, and it's a bit of encouragement for a future show, uh, do, do tune in when we cover John of the Cross, because I think he's the master of spiritual direction. But John will tell us about the elements of good spiritual direction, what we should be looking for, what the spiritual director should be providing, and that's an important understanding. But I just want to counsel everybody, and our Holy Father said it in an audience last week, everybody should seek spiritual direction. If you are on a path of spiritual maturity, and I don't know a Catholic who isn't or shouldn't be, uh, then you obviously need to seek spiritual direction. Our priests are great, our deacons, our sisters, uh, there are many laity now who are skilled in spiritual direction. Seek these people out. Interview them. Feel free to have a couple conversations. You don't have to make a commitment until you find someone that you are comfortable with, but the tradition should be consistent. Uh, There should be an orthodox element to the teaching. They should understand something about spiritual maturity, but do seek out spiritual direction. Well, now as we, we've already talked about all this pain and suffering in the sixth, um, we need to talk about the favors now, because greater trials, greater favors. What are some of the favors that we might experience in the sixth? I think maybe one of them would be that painful wound, or the delightful wound, that's it, the delightful wound. Would you care to comment on this delightful wound? Yeah, she talks about the arrow, the analogy the of arrow. the arrow, yeah. right? The the arrow that is plunged into her heart, and she says, and this is one of the, um, uh, I guess, uh, um, confirmations that you won't mistake this experience. She says, you will literally feel a burning in the heart, and it's both remarkably painful, as you might well imagine an arrow would be, and remarkably pleasant in that when it's drawn out, it leaves a wound of love. It's a flaming arrow. What do you it, mean, wound of love? It makes you want to desire God more? Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah, the only analogy I think we can draw on the human level is the love that either you might have for uh, your spouse early on in your relationship, and hopefully later in your relationship, but the relationship matures, or the love that you might feel for your child, um, the, the experience of, a separation from your child isn't a terribly painful and unfortunate thing if it, mm. it, it's brought about. But it's it's only analogous. It's only a minor, I think, manifestation of what Teresa's talking about. It's a deep yearning. If we read the Song of Songs in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which John of the Cross draws from uh, uh, consistently, it, it talks about what a deep and abiding love this is, What what pain there is in the absence of the loved one. And this is what Teresa is telling us about that she's experiencing with regard to the analogy she uses of the arrow. 
But there are other experiences, of course. There's ecstasy here in this swelling. There are the locutions that leave um, not only the feelings of, of great peace and joy, but also where she is taught things. And she can't tell us what these things are, she says, because there is no sort of language for them in, in, uh, in, in an earthly sense. But she's revealed things. She's led to understand things that she did not understand before. And we're moving somewhat briskly through these um, experiences of rapture and ecstasy and, and, and so forth. But these are remarkably uh, uh, profound experiences for her. They give her great peace, great joy, and yes, leave her with a with a wounded love, if you will. And these ecstasies that that he mentioned, that word that that is basically when God captivates. The interior faculties, the memory, the intellect and will, and also the sense faculties, your eyesight, your hearing, your, your feeling. So you're, you're totally withdrawn out, yeah. taken out. But, but then the locution, I want to get to that word because you brought that up. The locution is hearing. And, and I think we probably have to go next week and, or talk about how we hear God, how, how we experience all these uh, favors in this sixth mansion and how we discern it, because that'll be very important. Yes, she says, and this will be our last point, but she does say this is experienced at the most intimate level of the soul, which is where we live. It's where we really live. We don't live, of course, in our senses, not in our deepest part. Uh, that's in, in, in the deepest part of our soul, and this is where uh, these wonderful events are experienced. Let me close with a prayer. This is June, and of course June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart, So a quick closing prayer to the Sacred Heart. Father, we honor the heart of your Son, broken by our cruelty, yet symbol of love's triumph, pledge of all that we are called to be. Teach us to see Christ in the lives we touch and to offer him living worship by love-filled service to our brothers and sisters. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Well, thank you again, listeners. We enjoyed being with you for this conversation this week. We'll look forward to uh, being with you again next week when we're going to cover a, a slightly different topic on penance. We'll do a whole show on the uh, on the sacrament of penance, the history of it, and the benefits of it. Thank you for joining us at Carmelite Conversation.